4.13. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the heart of it. And a little, let's put it in the bigger verse then. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we have here your word. We are going to see what it means that these men had been with Jesus and pray that we may learn and be inspired and be empowered to be like them also. Amen. Well, we may have heard a few sermons urging us to evangelise over the years, haven't we? Gossip the gospel, tell the world that Jesus saves and we all know we're supposed to do it and we all can feel a little bit edgy, a bit uncomfortable, a bit scared about it. And so as we look at this story we're going to look at this morning, we see Peter and John in full holy boldness. We're just amazed. And we wonder, could we be like that? Because this passage is certainly one of the most empowered examples of evangelism in the Bible. And it contains a point which the Lord has lit up for me as I prepared the explanation of where did that holy boldness come from? It came from being with Jesus. And as we launch into all the twos, 2022, I feel this should be the foundation for the year, shouldn't it? That people should be able to see that we have been with Jesus. Peter and John there, they've just so clearly believed their message. They've got the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's not long after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has descended on people like flames of fire. And they, of course, witnesses. They've seen the sacrifice of Jesus for the sins of the world. They've seen him come back from being dead. And then they've seen him personally taken up to heaven. And what's the result? Courage. Courage to speak freely. Courage to be very clear that the court that they had just dragged before had crucified the Saviour of the world. So they didn't just gossip about it with their friends. They strongly confronted the very powers which had put Jesus in the grave. Think about it. The guys who sent Jesus to the cross, they, come, they brought their, their right... What did they do? They went right in the face of the elders. They went right into the face of the teachers of the law, the high priests and the family, the political power of the day, the government. They were rolled in the face of the government. And I, are you starting, starting to feel the boldness of this? Just untrained, uneducated, in other words, ordinary guys, speaking up about the injustice to Jesus which has gone down and speaking it directly to the perpetrators. But they didn't just come in a combative way. They weren't just saying this for revenge or for justice. And they hadn't organised a street protest with black armbands and burning this, that and the other and vandalising. No, because they could see that there was a bigger picture going on than just speaking up about the injustice that had happened to Jesus. They were clearly laying out the facts. But they were doing it because they knew that in all of this, Jesus had a master plan. And they knew that that plan had been successfully implemented. They knew that the powers of the world would be 
deeply offended that the real king of the universe had arrived in human form on earth and they knew that the existing powers of evil would not be able to willingly give up their authority and they knew that these guys would kill Jesus in order that they could stay in control and in charge. But what those political leaders didn't know was that Jesus was actually using them for his own ends. They didn't know that Jesus was they didn't know that killing Jesus was actually like doing a, a priestly job of, make, of killing something to be a perfect sacrifice for all mankind. And they didn't know that this Jesus being sacrificed was his plan A and that it disarmed powers and authorities. You see, by coming back to life, he demonstrated that they couldn't really hurt him. He was the boss. He was the one with the power to lay down his life and then take it up. He was the one who had the power of life. And they just had an inferior power, the power to kill, the power of death. And usually, for most people, they kept in line if uh, you threatened to kill them. It's worked throughout history in most corrupt regimes in the world. But Jesus showed all Christians that being killed is no real threat. Being killed is no real threat. He came back to life in three days. And all of us will come back to life when the final trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise. And Jesus' plan A, his master plan, disarmed the powers and authorities spectacularly. In Colossians 2.15 it tells us that. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Which is, they're going, no, I think we won, but no, Jesus is going, no, mate, I won't. Yeah. If you think about how you can... There's a lot in that, isn't it? I'll carry on. So I hope you're being stirred in your spirits by this example of Peter and John and that you sense some of the possibilities of having been with Jesus. So let's refresh our memories of a story. It starts in Acts chapter uh, 3, I think. Uh, Verse 3, One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. It was about 3 in the Arvo. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But Peter looked straight at him and and says, John did, and Peter said, look at us, look at us. So the man gave his attention. He was expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. I don't have it. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he took him by the right hand and he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts. He was walking, he was jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. And after this, 
Jesus, uh, Peter preaches, keeps on preaching until he gets arrested. But many believe his message and the, the total of new believers gets to be 5,000 men. So with families and women and children, that's a fair number of people. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed, greatly disturbed, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So then you see in the story, he gets dragged before the, the courts. Verse 5 and chapter 4. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And who was there? Everybody. Annas the high priest was there. So were Caiaphas and John and Alexander and others of the high priest family. And they had Peter and John brought in and they began to question, by what power, by what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if, seems obvious now, if, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we're being asked how he was healed, well, if that's the case, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, it's by that name that this man stands before you healed, because Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realised they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And since the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was, since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they huddled together and they said, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone in Jerusalem knows they've performed the notable sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further amongst the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his, this name. And they called him in and they commanded them, don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And I think what happens next is the pointy edge of the wedge. Having spoke up about Jesus, James and John, they get this monstrous pushback. Well, what do they do against this monstrous pushback? And I'm sure many of us have experienced a bit of pushback sometimes. What did we do? Well, Acts 4.19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. And after further threats, they let him go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So there, in the face of monstrous pushback, 
Peter and John clearly see there's only really one option. They've seen stuff. They've heard stuff direct from the source. It is undeniably true and correct. After all, they lived with Jesus for three years. They saw everything he did. They heard everything he taught. They saw firsthand his death and then his resurrection and they saw his ascension into heaven. And they knew that Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And they knew that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And Peter and John knew that what was at stake at this moment was the salvation of souls, the salvation of people. They could see beyond the government Self, their self-serving attempts to stay in power they're flexing their governmental muscles in order to just control the population they can see there was something more important than just causing problems for this corrupt government and it was salvation salvation of infinitely valuable eternal souls salvation of us and it was only found in Jesus and I wonder how deep we know that. That there is only one place where salvation is found. And I wonder if we know what Trevor pointed out last week, that when God set up the way of salvation from Deuteronomy 8, that there were boundaries, that there were right things to do and wrong things that could be done, right ways to live and wrong ways to live. Read the Bible and you'll work out what they are. And there are consequences for each way of living. Live for God and life is a pathway to heaven. Live for yourself and life is a pathway to hell. And that's what James and John knew and saw clear as day. And they couldn't be stopped in telling people about it. Now, to this point we haven't seen any Christian leaders in Australia given the death sentence like they had it in those days. Life is not as barbaric as it was then but we have seen government intrusion in our lives in a way we've never experienced before in Australia we've been given a taste of compulsion and we mostly don't like it and so I see this story today as an example of how Peter and John dealt with compulsion to be very relevant to us you see in the face of opposition from human authority first thing we notice is that the Holy Spirit gave them a very clever response and that was to make sure they framed what they had done as an act of kindness you see their accusers were probably trying to trap them with that question see if they asked what power or name they performed the miracle in they might make a slip of the tongue or something and they could say oh you're a, that's witchcraft mate we can put you away if you give the wrong answer but the Holy Spirit gave them wisdom and Peter and John determined that if they're going to be charged over a, an act of kindness which actually was a very high value for Jews there then they're going to, if they are going to be charged over an act of kindness which was legally unassailable then they would acknowledge the authority which made it possible they would acknowledge that it was Jesus and I believe that in these days of the Holy Spirit, just as he gave them wisdom 
and answers will give us wisdom and answers against opposition more and more. We know that when we're in tight spots, we can rely upon the Holy Spirit. Not be anxious, rely upon the Holy Spirit. Another thing we see in the situation is that Peter and John didn't get into a rant about the injustice. They didn't get into a rant about the breaching of civil rights to which they'd been subjected. They kept the main game, the main game, which was telling people about Jesus. They weren't distracted by conspiracy theories or reputation or pride. They pointed out Jesus is the cornerstone of salvation. And they weren't trying to overthrow the government or form a new government, which is what they started off doing, but they realised that they were building a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly one. And then they got brought back in. And they were told, don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus at all. But their answer is inspiring. But Peter and John, in verse 19, they said, which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen or heard. So as, as we see our Premier struggling with the opening of our borders, as we contemplate whether to vax or not, as we see the increasing signs of the end of the world, friends, the main game is still the main game. Telling people that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's the main game. The others are attractive diversions, keep us from staying on the main game, but I believe we have to do that. And in fact, I think we're seeing that people are becoming a bit more open to the good news of Jesus the more troubled times become. And so I believe that being bold is uh, even more accessible, accessible, more acceptable, because people want to hear some sense. They want to hear some good stuff. There's a saying that in troubled times that the blood of the martyrs is seed. In the earliest persecution of the Christians by the Romans, the way people died, the expressions on their face, knowing they were going to see Jesus, really showed and was a witness to how real he was. If we go a little bit more... Uh, modern, we can go to the Civil War in America. It's an interesting thing. There was actually a revival amongst the Confederate troops which has resulted down the track in what we call in America the Bible Belt. The historian Henry Steele Commager puts it this way. One of the most interesting features of the history of the Confederacy was the series of revivals that swept the armies, both East and West, throughout the war. There were a few revivals in the winter of 1861 to 62, but the great revival came in the Army of Northern Virginia in the winter and spring of 1863, and then it spread to the armies of the West. And the Reverend John W. Jones, whose book Christ in the Camp is probably the best history of this great revival, estimates that no less than 150,000 soldiers got religion in that year. And the results of that enduring results is a part of America called the Bible Belt. So troubled times can lead to receptivity to the gospel. And here we have boldness of Peter and John. Amazing. Because they had been with Jesus. And, and we all want to see 
the mighty power of God working in our lives, don't we? We want it in our friends' lives, don't we? We want to be part of a vibrant church doing exciting things in the community. We all got our ideas about how to do that. But in all our considerations and our dreams, our aspirations, in all our considerations of what skills, what training, what resources we need, this verse confronts us with the most important foundation we must never walk away from. We need to be with Jesus ourselves first of all we don't need good ideas to reach this community for Jesus we need God ideas to reach this community for Jesus we don't need to trot out how good it was in the old days we don't need to trot out what the, these days exciting churches are doing somewhere else we just need to know what God wants me to do today for I am the church you are the church we need to have developed our relationship with God to the point where we're here and we know what God is telling us to do. Being nourished by his word, his written word, the Holy Spirit confirming it. So deeply nourished and filled with the reality of God and the reality of everyone's need for salvation that we just find ourselves bursting with boldness and enthusiasm that we are so full of Jesus that rolls out of us. It's not just about having a good time getting close to God. It's that there is an empowerment as well that comes from being close to Jesus. I was listening to Dr. Charles Stanley the other day. He was talking about the greatest lessons he learnt in life. And he related this one particular time when he felt God speaking to him. He was in seminary training to be a preacher and praying on his knees one morning. And he really felt God say to him, whatever you accomplish in life, you'll accomplish on your knees. Not by your intelligence, not by your schooling, not by your training, only on your knees. And over and over in my life I found that when I spend more time with the Lord first, that the Lord organises my day way, way more productively than I ever could. Because God blesses our attempts to be with Jesus. He blesses us when we go hard after him. And he works through us amazingly when our highest goal is to be with Jesus. And it's always been that way. Trevor reminded us from Deuteronomy of the blessings which come from following God and the curses which come from neglecting God. Consider the example of Uzziah. Not Isaiah, but Uzziah. He became king of Judah. He was just 16 years old. His father Amaziah died. 2 Chronicles 26.3 says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And see that phrase? As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. If you read further on through the chapter, you'll see wars successfully against the Philistines, against the Arabs, against the Munites. A uh, summary of that in verse 8 is that the Ammonites brought tribute to Isaiah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt. 
because he'd become very powerful. And this guy was an inventor. He built towers, he organised his army well, he invented weapons which could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. He became famous and powerful. But then in verse 16, we see the lesson in his story. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And the big lesson for this is that when we're new to faith and or we have big problems which drive us to our knees, we find it easy to pray. We know we need Jesus. We're sensitive to him. We're keen to know and grow. And then what happens? Well, God helps us with our problems. Life becomes easier. And what were big problems before are now more comfortably dealt with and we become strong and we become powerful. And then we're in danger of succumbing to a Zion's problem because we start to think we got here by ourselves. that we have the capacity to handle life in our own right. But we do know that Isaiah, when he sought God, when he sought the Lord, he had success. And for us, what we achieved in the Lord in 2021 doesn't really count for 2022 if we slip back from seeking the Lord. doesn't count, does it? We have a saying in the music industry, you're only as good as your last gig. You don't get credit for any of your previous gigs when you're in the gig. People are only interested in how you're playing tonight. And adding up a, in your mind a list of credits of good stuff you did last year, that's not transferable really into this year because God wants you working on a new list of credits for this year. Now, I think one of the great joys of a Christian life for me is that God's got exciting projects for us to the very end of our days. Lessons to learn till the ends of our days. And some of the most difficult lessons are going to be learned when you don't have as much hair and you don't have as much spring in your step or you don't have as much capacity to sleep through the whole night. So as we look then into 2022, I commend to you the most important thing to do the most important thing to put time and to put energy and discipline into doing is to be with Jesus. And if you put in the hard work of doing that, you'll be amazed at what seems to happen around about you that you didn't do, but God's doing it. And you'll experience the substance of God's blessing. So remember Charles Stanley's lesson. Whatever you accomplish in life, you'll accomplish on your knees. Not by your intelligence, not by your schooling, not by your training, only on your knees. And remember Isaiah's lesson from 2 Chronicles. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. You might need to change your spiritual appetite a bit to do this. Change that time at the end of the day where you go to relax and chill out and recuperate and refresh. Do you know what? The last thing is that most people do before they go to bed at night. The last thing most people do before they go to bed at night is turn off the TV. And then, then when they get into bed, then the mind says, oh, no, I can work on the day stuff now. It starts to go to work. Wouldn't it be better to have the spiritual appetite that says, oh, let me turn it off earlier. Let me make the last thing before I go to bed, praying through the day, getting into daily prayer, meditation. And you know, the Old Testament, just, we go down to Deuteronomy 4.29, just backs it up. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, 
you will find him, if you seek him with your whole heart and all your soul. My prayer this year is that people will see that we have been with Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, the world wants to press in and claim, wants to claim that we should be looking at it, worrying about it. The powers of this world say, yes, you should be listening to us tell you what to do. But we know that if we seek you and we seek your face, then we'll know what to do. Then we'll have your power to do what we need to do. And then you'll be able to work through our lives and bless us in amazing ways. So we praise you and we thank you for the joy of your word that shows us the way to boldness, shows us the way to spiritual power. And we seek to be with you this year. Hallelujah and Amen.